0: We're going to turn to Psalm 107 this morning. It is an opportunity for us to uh, once again be reminded of uh, God's help for his people. And we're reminded that this is the prayer book of God's people. This is the hymn book of God's people. And so it helps us to uh, consider these things for our own lives and walk with God. As we come to Psalm 107 this morning, it is a psalm that I believe... Is a psalm that turns our eyes towards God. And it's a psalm that describes, in a very general way, the common grace of God. And by that I mean the fact that God is the creator of heaven and earth, He's the creator of the universe. He is the one that sustains and upholds and guides and directs and protects and turns the circumstances of our lives. And so He's not just the God of the redeemed, He's the God of all humankind. And anyone who turns to him in times of distress and difficult will find relief and will find help and will find deliverance from God. God's hand of deliverance is not only for those who know him, it is for all he has created. The Bible speaks about God's loving care for all of creation, of animal life as he feeds it and provides for it and protects it and preserves it and gives them life. It also describes, though, God's grace to all humankind as he sends the rains on the good and the bad, as he sends the sun on the good and the bad. So God has great concern for this world that he has made and all that is in it. One of the things that is helpful for us to fix in our heads is to, uh, the, the greatest way that I can imagine God is to think of him in creation. I can't think of a more powerful, mighty um, God then, a uh, God of creation. the one who speaks and this world comes into existence. The one who has created this world as a demonstration of his power and his might and his love. The one who has created this world as a theater of redemption so he can display his grace and his mercy to mankind. I can't think of a, another way to think about God and in fact, biblical writers will drive us to consider God in his power and might in bringing this world about and then in sustaining this world. And so what the psalmist wants us to understand in this psalm is the relationship that we can have with this God, that this God is interested in our worlds and in our lives. And it's a psalm that wants to remind us to look to God for help, to cry out to God for help, whoever we are and whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. The psalm, in other words, is a lens through which you and I are to learn to consider this world and our experience in this world. We've talked so often or a few weeks ago about how a knowledge of God ought to frame our existence and our thriving in this world. We saw last week through Psalm 139 that God's knowledge of us is deep and intimate and complete and in spite of all that we might worry about, God loves us and cares for us. And this morning, what I want us to think about is to think about God's care for us in every single circumstance of our life. Who do you turn to when you find yourself lost and hopeless? Who do you turn to when you find yourself a prisoner of your own devices? Where do you turn when your disobedience and rebellion of God has brought affliction upon your life? Who do you turn to when you find yourself at wit's end despite all your strengths and your gifts and your abilities? Who do you turn to when you need the circumstances of your life reversed and turned around and flipped on its upright position? The psalmist says, look to God, the creator of heaven and the earth. There's an invitation that He gives as you begin verse 1 of Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his loving kindness endures forever, or his steadfast love is forever. This is an exhortation to all of us to consider why we are here, to consider who made us, to consider who created us, to consider who sustains us, and understand that he is one to give thanks to. It's not a suggestion. It's an exhortation. It's a, a way of thinking in life. It's a a way that constrains our thought from looking for help outside of ourselves or even in ourselves, but look to the one who made us. Oh, give thanks to that one. Why? For he is good. We really need to begin to consider the goodness of God. This is where we battle in life, both as Christians and I think those in the world. Is God really good? We look at the circumstances of our life and we interpret them as not good, because they don't fit our understanding of good. But the declaration of God throughout Scripture is that He is good. And the battle that you and I face as, as those that live in this world is the prince of this world sits on our shoulder, and when our circumstances overwhelm us, he says, "See, God is not good. See? What creator would ever allow those sorts of things to happen in your life or in your world? See, Paul, don't trust him. He's not good. And the Bible tells us again and again, God is good. How often? All All the time. We are reminded of this in this text. We give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And he's not just good for the moment, It says, for his loving kindness endures how long? Forever. The faithfulness of God, the love of God, the steadfastness of God in our lives and in this world. We looked at the rainbow which God has put to remind us that he will never again destroy this world through rain and a flood. It's a constant reminder every time you see a rainbow of the steadfast love of God, which endures forever. And we will consider also in our lives the wonderful acts of God to train ourselves to look at our circumstances and our deliverances and the way of God with us and see his hand at work in our life. Every single person in this world ought to look to their creator in times of trouble and give thanks and cry for help. The Bible tells us very clearly that God has revealed himself in this world. The heavens declare the glory of God. To who? Not just the redeemed, but to all humanity. It says that his divine attributes have been made known in the heavens for all to see that we are without excuse, that all of us can find God or see God and his power and his might in this world if we will but look for him, But many ignore evidence of God in the world, but for the redeemed, and he says that for those who know God in peculiar ways, let the redeemed of God say God is good all the time. As children of God, as those who have experienced the love of God in salvation, those who have experienced the preservation of God in our lives, we of all people ought to give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his enduring loving kindness. The psalmist paints four pictures here for us to consider, and I'm just going to touch the surface of them this morning. I encourage you on your own throughout the rest of the day, maybe, or this week to unpack each of these four situations that the psalmist talks about. But these are word pictures, illustrations of the reality of the loving kindness of God and the goodness of God in our lives. The first one is they wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills up. The circumstances are such that uh, they have been... uh, Wandering in the desert, they're lost, they're without hope, they can't find their way home, they don't know where to go, they don't know where to turn. Their situation is dire. They're such that their soul, even inside of them, is fainting. Have you ever found yourself wandering in a desert-like experience? You don't know your way through it, you don't know your way out of it. You don't know how to find rest and your spirit is giving up. What do you do in those circumstances? Where do you turn in those situations? The psalmist says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. This is a theme that we will find again and again in this psalm. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. This in itself is amazing that God hears, that God answers. That there's even an inclination in our, in our heart to cry out to God. Where does that inclination come from? It comes from the fact that we are made in the image of God. Male and female, we are made in the image of God. We have this connection. We have this relationship. We have this affinity to that God. And so when we find ourselves in trouble, we cry out to the one who made us. And there's this divine rescue. It says, he rescued them from their distress. This is our God. This is the creator of the world. This is his way with humankind. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He is loving to all who turn to him and cry out to him. The human response is critical to this. Give thanks to the one who is due. Give thanks to the one who rescues. Don't look at your circumstances and how they've turned and how they've changed and attribute that all of a sudden to a a good Chance of luck or a good turn of events or something that you've done. Remember, you were in dire circumstances. You cried out to God and He delivered you. Don't forget the goodness of God. Don't attribute it to somebody else. Look at the timing of your deliverance. Look at the details of your deliverance. Consider the reasons of your deliverance, the faithful love of God. Be specific in your phrase, praise. Do you know that this is part of Mary's song? that we will read or you will read over Christmas if you read Luke, this last verse of this particular cry. He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. This was Mary's part of her manificat as she cries out to God. This was her experience that he does satisfy, he does fill. The second illustration is one of captivity. Captivity. The circumstances are such that they have become prisoners. Verse 10 Some, or they sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, for he shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts the bars of iron. The situation it described is bleak. They have found themselves in darkness this isn't just physical darkness. This can be moral darkness, or it can be spiritual darkness. They found themselves in darkness, in gloom, imprisoned. Cruel chains bound them. Could be the chains of addiction. It could be the change of chains of human reasoning that won't let you see the light and the glory of Christ. Here is the reason given for their darkness and their gloom, and their bondage. Rebellion against God and contempt of the Most High. This is God, El, El Yon, God Most High. The God above heavens and earth, the God outside of the world in which we live, the God who spoke it into existence, who manages it and who controls it. Have you ever considered that the darkness and gloom of your life, the things that have a grip on you, could be the result of your utter rejection of God? Of your rebellion against his words, the things that you know that he has said, the things that your conscience is telling you to do. Have you ever considered that your contempt of God has brought you to a place of darkness and imprisonment? It's describing a defiant attitude towards the Creator, a defiant attitude, one of contempt towards the God who made you. It's the it's description of those in Romans 1 who defiantly have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and said, no, there is no God. No, I don't care about that God. No, He's not going to tell me how to live. No, I'm not going to pattern my life after His ways. The Bible tells us there are times when we do that, that God gives us up for a period of time. We see this contempt of of the word of God. It's not just those who don't know God that can have contempt for the word of God. Moses and Aaron were two who rebelled against the word of God. God told them when the people of Israel were thirsty, he said, now go and there's a rock and I want you to, to speak to that rock and command water to come out of it. And Moses and Aaron were so ticked at the people that they went to the rock, and rather than speaking to it, they whacked it. And water still came out, but God said, because you have rebelled against my word, you will not enter the land of Canaan. So it's not just those who don't know the Lord that can rebel against his word, or who can hold it in contempt. Eli's sons were too that the Word of God in contempt, and you can read their story in Samuel. But it's a terrifying thing to find yourself in a prison in darkness because of your own choosing. There's a song that probably many of you have heard by the Eagles in Hotel California, and there's a line in there where it says, "We are all prisoners of our own device. I'm not sure if that's referring to Psalm 107 and what he's saying here, but what I at least get from that is we are sometimes hostages or held prisoner because of our choices and because of things that we choose and because of our rejection of God and his ways. And so God leaves us for a time in our darkness. Again, it's a terrifying thing. To find yourself in darkness and not being able to see God. Or in chains and not be able to free yourself. Some of you have been reading the book of Judges in the 10 by, 5 by 5 plan. It's a brutal book in places. I think it's about chapter 10, though, after this repeated uh, instance of the people of Israel following after other gods and then uh, experiencing incredible affliction and then crying out to the Lord and he delivers them. And this is repeated. And finally you come to uh, chapter 10 uh, of there and uh, they, they've rebelled against God and they found themselves in affliction and they've cried out to God. And God says, why are you talking to me? Go call out to the gods that you've served. Go call out to the idols that you've worshipped. Let them deliver you. And the stark realization is that they don't, and they can't deliver them. The only God that can break the chains of our afflictions is the God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who made you and I. The parable of the two sons, some of you are familiar with that. The youngest son goes to his father and says, I wish you were dead, but because you're not, give me everything that's rightfully mine, and I am going to go live my life. And he takes his part of the inheritance and he goes off and he lives wildly and finds himself in darkness and imprisoned and in gloom. And it says what? When he came to his senses, he says, I'm better off being at home with my father than being here in this darkness and imprisonment. And so it says they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Yeah, I'm blown away by this, you know, as I consider this. I really am. God is so merciful and so compassionate and so forgiving. It's his character. It's not that we abuse it or take advantage of it, but that God doesn't say, okay, you get one shot, maybe two, but three strikes and you're out. says they cried out to the Lord and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of their gloom and darkness. He broke their chains apart. As it says in this verse, which is amazing, his power, he shatters the doors of bronze. Bronze is is mightily strong. And you get a picture of these bronze doors that are holding us in prison, and it says he shatters them. And he cuts the iron in two. This is incredible deliverance, incredible freedom that God delivers those who cry out to them, breaks their bonds. There's a song that we sing from time to time, And Can It Be? And there's a particular verse in it where uh, Charles Wesley says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. What he's talking about there is the danger of human reasoning. He lived in the period of enlightenment and enlightenment thought had come in and pushed God to the outside and said there is no God and there is no God and human reason alone is all we need to save ourselves and all we need to deliver ourselves and we can accomplish everything by our own reasoning. And he was imprisoned by that thinking. And he says, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. He experienced the deliverance of the darkness of the mind and his rejection of God. The wonderful reality is you can be in the darkest place. You can be bound by the strongest chains. You can cry out to God and he can shatter those things that are keeping you in prison. And the response to that then is give thanks to God. Give thanks to the God for he freed you. I, I said this in the first service and I, I, I want to do it now, but we don't have time. I, I wanted to stop at every one of these pictures and say, share with us how God has given you hope in despair. Share with us how God has shattered the bronze gates that have held you in prison. Give testimony to the goodness of God and the loving kindness of God. It almost might be more profitable than 25 minutes of monologue. But this is what the psalmist is saying. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. The third one is in verse 17, the third word picture that he describes. And there he says, starting in verse 17, "'They were fools in their sinful ways, "'and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. "'They loathed any kind of food, "'and they drew near to the gates of death. "'Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. "'He delivered them from their distress. "'He sent out his word and healed them "'and he delivered them from their destruction. "'Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love.' for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in song. This is the smallest or shortest of all of them. Fools suffered affliction. Nobody likes to be called a fool in the world in which we live anymore. Unless you're, what's that guy that used to wear all the gold? Um, Mr. T? You fool, fool. But he was often referring to foolish in intellect. When the Bible calls somebody fool, it's not because of mental deficiency. It's because of a moral deficiency. And there's three words in the Bible, in the Old Testament in particular, that describe fools. I won't give you those, the, the three words, but the one that's the focus here is one who is a fool because of their moral choices and their moral decisions and their moral deficiency because they're dull or obstinate towards God. And such a person, it says, is, is foolish because they have, uh, they have cast the, 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 the ways of God aside. It says some were fools through their sinful ways. Every time you choose sin, you are a fool. That's what the Bible says. It is foolish To enter into sinful ways. And because of our iniquities, our rebellion against God, we suffer affliction. Have you ever felt the affliction of your sin? When you have found your body aching and your mind exploding, and your relationships deteriorating, have you ever stopped to think it might be because you have chosen sinful ways and have embraced iniquity? Psalm 38, the psalmist says, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning. There is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longings is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes... It is also gone from me. Have you ever experienced that kind of affliction? I have. It's awful. But have you ever experienced the deliverance of God? I have. And it's wonderful. Then I cried out to the Lord in my trouble. And the Lord delivered me from my distress. I had a mentor in my life. And one day we were talking about difficult circumstances and troubles that come into our lives. And he suggested to me, he said, Paul, whenever you find yourself in a difficult circumstance, whenever you find yourself in a situation that you don't understand or you don't know what's going on, whenever you find yourself suffering affliction, one of the first questions you ought to ask is, God, is there something you're trying to teach me? God, is there something you're trying to get my attention about? And he said, wait for a little bit. Give time for God to speak. And if God doesn't reveal anything or say anything to you, then keep on with life because life will have difficult circumstances. But that is true to be such a good starting point in my life. To simply ask God, is there something you're trying to get my attention about? It's like David, search me, O Lord, and see if there be any wicked way in me. See, the affliction here, as I've said, is the affliction that comes as a result of disobeying God, of choosing a path of sin. It's like Nebuchadnezzar. Some of you know the story of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, how, how uh, he was one day up on the roof of his uh, palace and he was observing his kingdom and patting himself on the back of all the things that he had accomplished. And look at my kingdom and look at my accomplishments and in his pride, God struck him down for seven years in madness until he turned his eyes towards God, cried for help, acknowledged his sin, and God restored him to his kingdom. The discipline of God is a wonderful thing. It really is. It is a good thing to experience discipline Parents, it is wise for you to discipline your children. Your first priority is not to be their friend. Your first priority is to be their father and their mother. And discipline is a good thing. And God's discipline of us is a good thing as well. It's a frequent theme of Scripture, and it's uh, best, I think, illustrated in Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't be weary when reproved by him. Don't rail against God when you're suffering affliction. Don't, don't become weary of his way in your life. And same with kids towards your parents. Don't rail against your mom and dad for the boundaries that they set for you or for the things that they, 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 they take away from you, for their discipline in your life. Don't rail against it. Why? Why? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he received. Discipline is, is a product of love. It's a parent saying to my child, I love you enough to set boundaries for your life. I love you enough to bring you back in through discipline when you stray. It says, God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, you are then illeg- illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us, our earthly parents, for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we might share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it, rede- it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak needs and make straight your paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The discipline of God is a wonderful thing. It said, then, as they suffered affliction, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, And he saved them from their distress. How did he save them? The details of that are not exactly clear, but he says the the pathway through that was his word. He sent his word and healed them and rescued them from the pit. What are the words that bring us deliverance or rescue? It's the words that drive us to God in repentance and forgiveness. Come now, let's reason together, God says. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. It's the words that tell us that God is compassionate and gracious and forgiving. It's the word that gives us hope. Or it could be a prophetic word of a prophet that God sends, or a word that we hear in such a way that it reminds us of the character of God, the goodness of God, the loving kindness of God. Isaiah 53, the chastisement for all of our sins was put upon Christ. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed for our sins. And it's the word of God that brings us out of our affliction into wholeness again. And then there's an additional note that's added here where he says now, in verse 25, let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. I sometimes wish that our services were four hours long and that two hours of those were spent in just sharing with one another the loving kindness of God, the mighty deeds of deliverance that God has worked in our dire circumstances, the way he has given us hope in despair, the way he has broken the chains of our bondage and given us freedom, so that we hear from one another again and again and again and again that God is good and his loving kindness endures forever. There is a place, loved ones, to share with others of the deliverances of God in your life. David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray but now I keep your word. In another place, he says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. It's a hard thing to bring yourself to say that, isn't it? It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I know, O Lord, that your regulations are fair. You disciplined me because I needed it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if your three-year-old would have come to you at one time and said, Mommy, thank you for spanking me. I needed it. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't say spanking. Um, But wouldn't it be wonderful to have a child acknowledge to us, Mom, Dad, I needed that. Thank you for caring and loving me enough to do that. David recognized that. The fourth picture. They went down to the sea in ships, verse 23, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous deeds in the deep. He commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Sometimes our circumstances really demonstrate our littleness. And our powerlessness, even in the midst of all our gifts and all our abilities and all our strength, sometimes our circumstances just render anything that we can do absolutely useless. Here's a picture of skilled sailors going out on the sea. They knew the waters. They knew the ocean. They plied their tray going from city to city on the oceans. And they were overwhelmed by this storm says their courage was melting away in anguish and all their skill was useless. There will be times when you will find yourselves at your wit's end. For all your education, for all the money you have in the bank, for all the training you might have, for all the skills that you might find, you will hit a circumstance that just makes you look absolutely helpless at your wit's end. God is bigger than those circumstances. Amen. And he says, he came to their distress. Amen. It's amazing, isn't it? That here's an illustration, I think, of God just saying that God also rules nature. He can calm a storm. He can still the wind. He can guide their boat one of the translations that I read in verse 30, it's the one I read in my devotions all the time, says, He guided them to the harbor they longed for. I love that. He guided them to the harbor they longed for. Sometimes God grants us the desires of our hearts, He stills the storms of our lives, and He guides us to the place that we long for. Let them give thanks for his faithful love. Notice the shift here now is too. Now they praise amongst God's people and they praise among the council of the elders. I, I said this in the first service. You know what? The elders would be tremendously encouraged if any of you at any time wrote a short note telling us of God's way in your life a short email or a short letter just explaining the goodness of God and the deliverance of God. And we would rejoice with you. We would pray with you. We would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness towards you. It is good to let others know how God is delivering you. The fourth or the final circumstances, and I will only tell you to look at it for yourself, reasons of praise, because nothing is too difficult for God. God. I think the point of verses thirty-three to, uh, to or uh, thirty-three to forty-two, are simply this: that God is able to turn your circumstances around in an instant. He's the God of incredible reversals. He's the God who is about uh, is able to bring about a reversal in circumstances just like that. He can bring rain to um, bring to 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 water a desert, or he can take a watery place and dry it up in an instant. He can take the dire circumstances of your life and he can elevate you to a place of success or he can take the success in your life and in a dime turn it around so that you're humbled by the nature of your circumstances. He's an amazing God. He blesses us. Trust in God who is able to reverse even the most dire circumstance of your life. And finally, I just want to point you to verse 43. Maybe to work this through in your own uh, over this next little while. I said you call yourself wise, prove it. We think of wisdom in so many different categories or so many different ways. But there's a type of wisdom that the Bible commends to us again and again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That wisdom that is beautiful and right and good comes to us from the Father above. And here he says, Whoever is wise, you want to be wise? He says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. What things? The, the, the way that God turns things on a dime. The way that God breaks the chains of, that hold you. The way that God gives you hope. The way that God guides you to the place that you want to be when you cry out to him help. Attend to these things. Think them over. Turn them over in your head. Talk about them as a family. Talk about them with your spouse. Talk about them with a friend. Think about them. Ponder them. Meditate on them. Let them consider the steadfast love of God. Sit down and and, and take note of the way God has hung on to you, the way that God has saved you, the way that God has protected you, the way that God has delivered you, the way that God has turned your world upside down for good. Consider the loving kindness of God, the way that you suffered because of your sin, the way that he disciplined you in your your times when you rebelled against him. Consider the loving kindness of God. That is wisdom. Because that will reveal to you the nature of God who made the heavens and the earth and controls and guides and directs your life. Study carefully the ways of God. Look in adversity for the ways of God. Look for evidence of the steadfast love of God. As the framers of the Westminster Catechism said, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. There is great enjoyment in considering the goodness of God and the loving kindness of God and the eternal love of God. Father in heaven, we thank you for... The psalmist as he directs our heart to Christ. And Father Christ experienced these realities. He understood your help in him, although he never sinned and although he never strayed from you, although he never disobeyed you. He consistently trusted in you through all the circumstances of his life. Father, he was one who knew perfectly and intimately your loving kindness. He was one who trusted fully in your ways in his life. Help us to do the same, I pray. And Father, for any who are in distress today because of their circumstances, Father, even if they don't know you, may they look to you, the creator of all things, and even say, oh, creator of heaven and earth, deliver me. And Father, be gracious. Act on their behalf, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.